when we realize that our journeys are not our own, but they're part of a fabric of a collective sort of process of becoming and kind of an ecosystem of change makers that share values. That gives you a sense of purpose, that gives you a sense of grounding, that gives you a sense of meaning. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to provide insight and wisdom into all things mental health, to sit down with individuals and talk about their journey, how they've broken free from the chains that bind them, to find their flame, their passions, and purpose. Welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you here today for another episode of the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. As always, your host, Steve O'Polinick, bringing you a fresh new episode. And our guest today is Dr. Victor Santiago Pineda. We talk a lot about his vision and his journey and what he is doing now and how he is helping to make the world a better place for all and empowering inclusivity. The episode today's name is called Beyond Boundaries and it sums up our conversation perfectly. Victor and I really get to talk a little bit about his journey on um, being a global disability rights advocate and his job as being an educator and the work that he does and the vision that he has for the future of universal accessibility equality and equity. Dr. Pineda is a very busy person and is making a mark on the world through his dedication of inclusivity and accessibility. He has a beautiful view of the world and how we can better our community and become more engaged in growing together. He has also founded the Pineda Foundation and World Enabled and co-launched many different inclusive programming in many different environments. I'm excited for y'all to consume this podcast. Without further ado, here is Dr. Victor Santiago Pineda. All right, welcome back to the podcast. We have a fantastic guest here today. Really excited to dive into this with our guest, Dr. Victor Pineda. Uh, Super excited to have you on. Um, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Steve. Your work is uh, truly inspiring. Happy to be here. Thank you. So we're going to kick it off like we always do. And it's kind of a a small question that has a bigger answer. So take as much time as you want. But can you share with our listeners a little bit about your origin story and who you are and, you know, how you've come into the world at this point and what your passions are and, and what you love doing? Well, thanks. Look, I think... I have a pretty simple story. Um, for those of you that 
can't see me, um, you know, I, I use a electric wheelchair to move around to have a machine uh, that helps me breathe. So there's a little uh, nasal mask that helps me take deep breaths. Um, I have some glasses and uh, brown hair. I'm a 45, I'm a 45 year old, um, light skinned Latinx male. Um, but I kind of realized early on that, you know, the fact that I was different um, made me have a superpower or the fact that I was different wasn't about me being less, but me being unique. So my origin story um, is very much about being born in a world to a world that wasn't designed for me and facing obstacles. The first obstacle was being denied an education in Venezuela. I stopped walking by the time I was like six or seven. And that meant that the schools in Venezuela would not um, accept a kid that couldn't walk. And there was no real policies or protections to my right to an education. And it was kind of like a dirty pair of shoes. My mom was told to uh, keep me at home. And at least protect me from the harsh realities of the world. Um, that was in Venezuela in the late, in the early 80s. And uh, a lot of that changed when we moved to the United States. In the US, I had tremendous opportunities. Miss uh, Deering would tell all the children the first day of class in first grade, you know, children, Victor needs help going to the cafeteria. Whoever raises their hand will get an extra 15 minutes of playtime. So all the kids raised their hands, kids wanted to be my friend. And that type of inclusion, although could be slightly manipulative, didn't really cost the school any more money. Right. I wasn't a liability. I wasn't a... Uh, Converted, but I was actually seen as an asset. And I think I took that perspective of radical inclusion. You know, what does it mean to sort of change systems so that people feel a sense of belonging? And I incorporated those ideas into my foundation. Um, during my junior year, sophomore, junior year in college, I realized, you know, at UC Berkeley, uh, there in my dorm room at, at the International House. And I wanted to dedicate my life towards these uh, issues of building systems and policies and programs that would unlock human potential, would sort of open up the inherent dignity, the inherent opportunity of every, every person to contribute to their society to have choices uh, and live the type of life 
that they value. So that is my origin story. I was born with a very unique set of conditions uh, where my muscles were weak, um, but I found through my family and through the right community, through my family, but I found through my family and through the right community a real sense of purpose um, that I channeled into the work that I did. That's awesome. And and thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's re- very impactful and, you know, formulates kind of where you, you've moved forward in your life to to really be a champion and advocate for inclusivity and, and support of that nature in systems and community and, and government and uh, not just in the, the U.S., but internationally as well. So, you know, I think I think that gives us a really firm starting block to to kind of dig into, you know, what your passions are and, and what you're doing with your foundations. And, you know, we're going to, this is a little teaser for the end of the podcast, but we're also going to talk about a, a comic book that uh, Victor was really helpful in creating and, and something that speaks to my huge geek heart. And I'm really excited to dive more into, <laughs> into that story too. So, um, you know, I, I guess starting point would be, you know, you you were open about that transition to the U.S. from where you, you know from Venezuela, where you felt you were you were kind of being oh just kind of stay to the side to now being uh, included. And again, like you said, a little manipulatively to the to the students, but also like that must have been really transformative for you to see. Can you speak a little bit about how you've seen that through your life and and uh, how impactful that's you know, helped you move through what you're doing and, and how you show up? Well, look, I helped negotiate an international human rights treaty. <laughs> that links to the, the comic book stuff we'll talk about later. But yeah. you know, I was my own little superhero. I was my own, my own sort of champion self-advocate. But it doesn't come across, it doesn't, it's not something that we do in isolation. Like, I had mentors, some of the best mentors in the disability movement and the community. Judith Human, who just passed away this year, um, featured in the Netflix documentary Crip Camp. Really encourage everybody to watch that. It was nominated for an Oscar. It was executive producer was Barack and Michelle Obama's production company higher ground. Uh, she was a phenomenal figure in civil rights in the US. And you know, I'm not I'm not a self-made, you know, person. Right. I'm somebody that comes from uh, a background as an immigrant. Uh, I'm somebody that comes from a background, you know, as a uh, activist of somebody that comes, you know, later as a background, as a scholar, as a teacher, as a professor. Uh, And the trajectory is, you know, going from being denied an education to teaching in some of the world's most prestigious universities. That doesn't happen just by chance. 
Right. That doesn't happen just by, you know, individual pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. It happens because there were a lot of people along the way that led to a helping hand. Um, you know, my financial aid package in college was much more complicated because I had to pay for my own care and my own support. Mm-hmm. And I remember Sarah Christensen, the college counselor, really going out of her way, finding scholarships and finding other supports. Uh, you know, now I mentor other young people. I am a guide for other young people. Um, so there's quite a lot of uh, community-based approaches to to this transformation. And I think that when we realize that our journeys are not our own, but they're part of a fabric of a collective sort of process of becoming and kind of an ecosystem of change makers that share values. That gives you a sense of purpose. That gives you a sense of grounding. That gives you a sense of meaning. You know, and you know your work on mental health is so important because the moment we feel alone, the moment we feel like the obstacles are too hard, the moment we feel like you know nobody cares or that we're not worth you know the love or the attention or the support, that's when we start to diminish our light. That's when we start to enter a space of darkness and anguish. And, you know, for somebody with significant physical disabilities, that was very much a path that I could have gone down, you know, pity and uh, and shame and guilt. Um, but I wasn't alone. I had a very remarkable and supportive family. I had a very active set of friends. I kind of always recruited people towards a new project, new passions, new places to play. And, you know, even though I weigh 90 pounds and have a smaller body frame and have, you know, weaknesses in my 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 limbs and have this breathing machine that helps me breathe. None of those things are, they're not a final barrier to expressing myself. They're not a, they're not, they're not a burden that in a sense diminishes my light. They're all sort of conditions that give me a unique perspective on the world and allow me to act upon the world and have an impact on the world from my own perspective. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that's that's a beautiful, beautifully spoken and, and beautifully shared in the sense of this idea that, you know, 
the concept of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, like you had mentioned before, becomes a narrative for so many people and they just get stuck in this. Well, this is what you do. This is how you navigate. This is what I'm aiming for. And everything that you just shared there was really more about being seen and being connected to people who who can spend that moment with individuals and as a collective, as, as a community, help people move forward. And I think that is something that I've witnessed in in the work that you've referenced that I do is being able to kind of just, you know, connect with people in that way is so much more powerful than, you know, these platitudes and these actions that we deem like, Oh, this is, this is how you engage with people. This is how you show up for people. This is, Oh, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to send this, this thank you card. For me, it's always been this more transformative of, well, how do you show up for people as opposed to, do these platitudes that that you know some societal pressures put put on the page for you to do and um you know in my own personal life it has been kind of a uh a back and forth with some family members a little bit on like how you show up in that way but you know i i think something that we we've moved away from in in a big mission of what we do here at the promethean project is to re reinvigorate that sense of community so that everything that you just mentioned People can find support. Uh, anyone can find support in moving forward and 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 you know finding those passions that that live within them and not be stifled by not being seen or uh, being told who they are, as opposed to being able to cultivate who they are. Well, look, I think what we have to th- what we have to do is we have to choose our role. It's almost like the Spider-Man, you know, framework, you know, with great, you know, privileges come great responsibilities. With great, right. with great powers come great responsibilities. And I think we underestimate how much power we really have. No matter if we're, you know, a 10-year-old kid that's, that's you know, mobilizing their neighborhood or their school to address climate change, right? Or whether we're you know, an 80, 90-year-old grandma like my own who is just so generous and kind with anybody that comes to visit that they all automatically feel like her power is love and her power is, you know, joy and presence. So whatever our situation is, we are, most of us, completely blind to the tremendous power that we hold and the power that we can exchange, not from a transactional perspective, but from a human sort of um, flourishing. I share with you, you know, some time to be able to, to sort of share, open my heart and share my journey. And yet, you know, these words might touch somebody that might have a child with a disability, right? Might have a relative that's struggling. Uh, So I think the superpower is ultimately how we open our hearts, how we undo all of the lessons that, you know, clog our minds or all of the sort of scripts that clog our minds. And then how do we actually use this kind of pure open state, this sort of pure purpose, whether it's to advance disability rights, 
whether it's to fight for, you know, um, more justice in the criminal justice system, whether it's to address mental health and destigmatize mental health and expand services, whatever that little voice inside you, you know, nurture it, feed it, because there's a saying, an old Native American saying, that within each one of us are two wolves. One wolf that is about fear and darkness and shame and guilt and, and anger, and the other wolf, which is about love and and joy and uh, and purpose. And you know, if they both go head to head, which is the wolf that's gonna win? And the answer is whichever one you feed. Right. So how do we feed those parts of ourselves that create meaning and stability and joy and playfulness? Um, because that lets them leading not only to your ability to command your own life and relationships in a healthier way, but on aggregate, it's what builds families and communities and societies. Exactly. And I love that you just said that. You can't see it. I'm going to stand up so you can see it, but I have a shirt that says love is an action word. Got it from uh, this black owned business called Mahogany Mamas. And uh, I bought it especially because of that message is, is that we, you know, cultivate it's, it's an act of cultivation, right? It's not just, a, Oh, you have this and you stay stagnant. You're, you're constantly being called into things and learning new things and shifting um, lenses and perspectives. If, if you're doing that work that you're talking about. And I think that's, it's an amazing way to kind of sum up what we were just talking about is like this, this movement of, uh, I, I'm going to say it again, but cultivation, I think, is a really powerful image of, you know, in mental health, we talk a lot about planting the seed to help people kind of navigate. Uh, it's a common colloquialism in mental health. And I, I even like to take it one step back and say, well, how do you help cultivate the soil, right? So that you create that community or that environment so that those things can kind of take and, and blossom on their own. Well, look, I think that love is very transformative because it's not just about, you know, the love that you give, but it's your ability to actually open yourself up to receive that love as well. And that translates very clearly into sort of the way we show up at work and the way we show up, you know, in relationships. And I want to take a moment to sort of walk you through, you know, where it is that these superpowers play out in my life and sort of where the audience can learn more about, you know, ways that they can be involved. Well, I incorporated the Victor Panetta Foundation as a 501c3 nonprofit uh, in California, specifically because I wanted to uh, unlock human potential. And our mission is to accelerate more inclusive innovation with organizations and communities around the world. And our vision is to create a place where we all belong in a future that leaves no one behind. So I'm very much focused 
on, you know, what can we do today to build the future we need? What, what can we do today to unlock, you know, our potential? Mm-hmm. And we do that mostly by supporting um, uh, training programs for governments and for companies around radical inclusion and inclusive innovation. Uh, and also with communities to build more inclusive cities. So one of our main initiatives around training and sort of advisory is called World Enabled. And World Enabled really supports companies and governments with implementing these inclusive frameworks and sort of legal mandates around inclusion and accessibility. Cities for All seeks to incentivize and transform a hundred cities to be more inclusive, accessible, and resilient by 2030. And we've got 30, 32 cities already committed to doing that, including a really cool AI project with the city of Amsterdam. And some work with uh, on autism-friendly design guidelines and building autism-friendly cities as well. And the third pillar, which is a relatively new one, is called the future we need. And that's really about bringing together innovators, change makers, investors, to really build that future we need through a series of communication programs, a podcast that I want to that we're launching, as well as uh, different media pieces uh, and think pieces around building that future. So, you know, people can learn more about that at PanenaFoundation.org, and they can also follow us on social media at World Enabled as well. So those are the ways that love or that purpose or that passion ends up showing up in the work that I do. I love all that. And I'll include uh, those links on uh, in your socials and in, in the socials for the organizations in the show notes too. So, um, you know, anyone listening, you can hop into the show notes and quick link over and, and kind of uh, see everything Victor's talking about and, and the projects he's working on. That's, I mean, that's, that's some amazing stuff in the sense of, again, like what we're talking about is this idea of, uh, and I like how it's, it's, it's kind of multiple pillars of what you're working on. Cause I think that's where transformation is, is focused, right? So we often think, oh, we'll, we'll do this one thing and this will move us forward. But it's, it's, it's this huge inclusive movement of just opening perspectives and, and having people at the table who can speak of their unique perspectives or share perspectives of others who may not be at that table. So that way, you know, you're really working on a framework that is that radical inclusion. And I work within the school systems quite a bit. And I think that's what's, you know, we, I think a lot of places try, but I do think there, there is a generalized kind of approach to education in America, specifically uh, in, in the United States. And um, I think a lot of times it comes from a privileged perspective of, of education and, and it is limiting. Is it getting better? I think, it, you know, it is because we're getting a lot more viewpoints of people. But I, I do think uh, it's still a, a huge fight to get in there. I oftentimes go to to meetings uh, for 
some of the the clients that I work with and have to help them have a voice. The the youth have a voice in their own planning for the education system. So I'm loving how you're approaching it on many tiers and and you know having people at the table who can advocate for that. Yeah, I think each one of us, you know, no matter who we are, can learn about how to be an ally, can learn about how to show up, can learn about what are the lives of people very different than ourselves, and how are they similar as well? What are the underlying hopes and aspirations and dreams? And, you know, one of the things that, that everybody wants you know, is to have choices, mm -hmm. uh, to have ability to choose your own path, right? There's a sense of freedom. Instead of having your life fully defined by others, is how do you define your own life? Um, and what matters to you? And then do you have the capabilities to actually live that out? Um, so I've, I've written a couple of books one of them is called Building the Inclusive City, which looks at how we can create a city and documents my work in building the disability strategy in Dubai and how I worked in Dubai over 16 years to help that city become more inclusive and accessible to people with disabilities. Uh, and my new book that's coming out in January it's called Inclusion and Belonging in Cities of Tomorrow, Governance and Access by Design. And in that book, I'm also thinking about, you know, what are some of the emerging trends in terms of, you know, building cities that really unlock human potential? And what are some cool projects around the world that really center around access, inclusion, and innovation. Now, the reason why that's important is, you know, I, as I mentioned, um, on the faculty at the University of California at Berkeley, one of the world's preeminent public universities. And my students oftentimes, you know, ask me about, you know, what is the future that we should be building? What are the cities that we should be building? And I say, you know, cities are systems of systems. And where they fall apart is where people end up falling through the cracks. Whether it's disinvestment in education, whether it's inequality in public transportation, mobility systems, uh, whether it's, you know, discrimination employment practices, a variety of different systems that don't link up together end up creating these inequitable building blocks of exclusion, right? Where you have the school to prison pipeline in right. low income class, or you have massive amounts of trauma that are not addressed in communities, you know, especially in areas of conflict around the world or areas. Of, of a lot of uh, violence. Um, you haven't addressed challenges that create obstacles and barriers. Don't define people's 
knives, but at least create a lot of obstacles to their choice of becoming. So, you know, as an urban planner, as a scholar, as a practitioner, I want cities, governments, stakeholders, companies and community members to really roll up their sleeves and ask who's not at the table and how do we create a future that proactively gives space and voice and visibility to those that aren't seen or heard, right? How do we look at neurodiversity in a way that isn't stigmatizing? How do we look at depression and mental health challenges, you know, with both proactive supports, compassion, but also understanding. People might just need a little more time. People might just need more, more um, coordinated approaches so that they don't feel like they're battling these challenges on their own. So all of these are 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 parts of the work that I do. And they're all advanced through my foundation and through the organizations and partnerships that I work with, whether it's Microsoft and a new new film project that we're supporting called Not So Special by Liz Plank, or whether it's leveraging AI in Amsterdam to teach a computer to identify accessibility barriers in the city, right? They're all about identifying and eliminating barriers so that people can live the life that they value. This is going to be like the 80th time I've said that, but but I love all of that. I think, uh, you know, so so often we're in, in systems work and in, in, in different systems in, in our everyday kind of in, encounterance is uh, reactive to a situation of uh, something that happened or a limitation or a barrier. And I, I really love that imagery of being proactive and giving options rather than asking people to conform towards, you know, the standard way of doing things, which we know doesn't exist, but we, we keep trying to make that happen and happen and happen. And it's just not the way for people to, to live. It's trying to conform to an option that's not feasible for them. And, and going back to what I was talking about with schools, that's often what I see when I go to these meetings is, well, they just have to come to this standard as opposed to asking, well, how, how can we help them move forward and in, in what the goal is around education? Uh, or how, how can they have a choice in how they want to, to work towards that? So, you know, all of that, I think, is really uh, powerful to hear and, and, and hear that voice out there. I also think, you know, we're going to, it's the importance of representation as well, too, in, in all of what we're talking about, being at the table or having having yourself viewed or so people can kind of see themselves in, in those situations and see the reality of that situation and have that voice. And I think, you know, a quick transition from that, but also tied to it would be like what we alluded to at the beginning is, you know, your work with the superhero kind of comic feel to it with, with the silver scorpion. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about that process.
Well, that's a great story. We partnered with the uh, Open Hands Initiative and Liquid Comics um, to bring it, um, a group of young, recently graduated high school students or folks towards the end of high school, so between 16 and maybe 19 years old, to Damascus, Syria. And this was, um, this was a project before the hostilities in Syria, there was an opening, I think, around 2010 or 2011, where um, the U.S. was trying to reestablish diplomatic relations with Syria, and there was an opening for the governments to collaborate on public diplomacy. And so Liquid Comics and the Panetta Foundation worked to organize a set of workshops where we combined the Syrian youth with disabilities and American youth with disabilities to first understand sort of hero's journey, hero's framing around comic book 101, mm -hmm. comic book structures, comic book uh, um, approaches, and also disability rights. And a workshop around what are disability rights, what are, how do we understand them across cultures. And they ended up creating the world's first cross-cultural disabled superhero. And the the press release was that kids developed the story and published the Silver Scorpion uh, first edition. As the comic was syndicated across 400 news outlets all over the world. So it was like a big splash in terms of the launch of this superhero. Um, and so this young man, um, you know, would end up using the power to control metal in a way that he couldn't really use it to cure himself or heal himself. He had to accept his disability, but yet leverage his powers to help others. And um, so he took on values that were relevant um, in the Middle East of justice and, uh, and peace and prosperity and, and community um, connections and values that were relevant you know, the West around, you know, autonomy, choice, and um, justice and other topics. And so the Silver Scorpion was so successful that MTV ended up animating a few episodes oh, nice. of the Silver Scorpion. So if you go to YouTube and you write Silver Scorpion, disabled superhero, uh, you can watch a couple of the episodes on, on the comic book. But it's not so much the comic, which was you know, the biggest impact. It's the lives of the 20 young people that participated or 25. You know, some of them have gone on to do their PhDs. Some of them have gone on to become lawyers. Some of them have gone on to become you know, political um uh, advisors, um, 
supporting various justice initiatives. Um, some of them are changing policy rights. Um, so yeah, just a phenomenal group of youth that had their lives changed and now are changing their lives for others. So that is the story of the Silver Scorpion, not only an art project and a cool sort of uh, outcome, but really a transformation to the young people that, that are part of that journey too. Yeah, and I think it just goes to underline the importance of, you know, in any format or in any way this that inclusivity is kind of shown or that representation is kind of shown, it, how how much that can transform that concept. You, you know, I remember being a, a young kid and seeing X-Men for the first time. You know, what really st struck me about that comic was, yes, it's a comic about superheroes, who have all these powers uh, but it's also a comic about family and you know the x-men itself is a really interesting concept of you know be them being mutants and, and being labeled as other or different and hated on and that's why i think x-men in general is really powerful because it's it's a story of superheroes but it's also a story of inclusivity and, and family at its core it may have diverged at certain certain paths but that's what's always struck me is feeling different being younger and having an outlet in that way helped me realize, oh, you know, there are options to, to find people, to find community who are similar to me. Uh, and I know in, in just terms of how I functioned and how my own kind of traumas ha have kind of led into different parts of my life. And so I think, you know, having that availability of that to be consumed in any kind of media at a very young age is so transformative for, for people to feel seen or heard or connected to so that they can continue to do that work. Like you're saying, and, and go through life saying, Oh, there, there is a possibility here. Yes. Fantastic. So we're going to keep with the superhero theme and get into the last, last couple of questions that we always end the podcast with. Uh, I think we've talked a little bit about it throughout this whole uh, episode of the podcast, but um, you know, we'll just get into the questions and, and see what comes up. So I'm going to give you both and you can answer in any order or together if you want. So the first question is uh, if you could have any superpower, if we're, we're deeming in a world where superpowers exist, what would it be and why? And then what do you believe your true life superpower is? Wow. Well, I think my true life superpower is my ability to see people, touch people, and in some way trans transform people. I think that I show up in a way that is quite unique and people sort of view themselves differently after they interact with me. So there is a unique way that my presence, my ability to connect, gives people courage. 
um, it's not about inspiration, you know, just because I use a wheelchair, you know, have a job or, or, you know, go to the movies or go to a bar or live my life. It's about seeing the ability that we each have. It's about seeing the ability that we each have to go beyond our perceived limitations. And I think my limitations are very perceptible, <laughs> are very visible, right? But a lot of people have invisible disabilities, right? Doubts and fears. So it's almost like confronting your ability to see yourself more fully uh, gives you strength. Gives you a sense of peace. Gives you a sense of courage. So I think that's my superpower. And then in terms of what superpowers, uh, I really enjoy connecting with other superhumans which is why I'm part of a network called the Hatch Network, where we're hatching a better world. And you should check out the Hatch Network. They provide scholarships for youth to also interact with uh, change makers all over the world. Uh, these are like seriously awesome humans that get together at the top of their careers to uh, provides 360 mentorship, right? So, you know, superheroes aren't just the stuff of science fiction. We each can show up you know, for each other. We each can create an opening to a better tomorrow. It starts with being present. And it starts with being seen. And it starts with being heard, but it also is seeing, hearing, listening, and just uh, sharing with an open heart. That's probably one of the best answers to those questions that I've ever gotten. And I, I really like your take on that. So thank you for sharing that. And so the last thing that I'll just ask is, um, you know, a quick summation, if if I were to ask you, what is something that you want the the people consuming the the podcast to leave with? What what would you really um want them to take away from the conversations that we we've had today? Well, I would want everybody to connect on LinkedIn to follow the work that we're doing. I would want them to uh find out ways that you could be an advocate for inclusive innovation and transformation in your communities. I'd like you to reach out if you think that we can help and be partners in building that better tomorrow today. Um, and ultimately look within yourself, not in a way that creates, uh, not in a way that creates distance, but a way that creates closeness, meaning that 
we're a lot closer to each other than we ever have been, meaning that we're a lot more connected. And that those connections really are a blessing if we learn to understand each other and support each other, right? So how do we do that effectively? Um, those are all things that I'm thinking. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and you holding space to share all this information. I appreciate you um, taking the time to talk today and to to be open about your own origin story and what, what work you're doing today. So uh, again, I can't say thank you enough, but I'm going to say it one more time. So thank you very much. It was an honor to sit and talk today. Well, have a great day. And I'm looking forward to... Uh... For another session in the future. Big hug. <laughs>